We're going to try something different. Shall not fear no man, man but God. God. Though I walk through the valley of shadow death. See if y'all can vibe with this one. Back in elementary, I thrived on misery. Left me alone, I grew up amongst a month of dying breed. Inside my mind, I couldn't find a place to rest. Until I got that dog glass tatted on my chest. Can you feel me? I'm not living in the past. You wanna last? Be the first to blast. Remember Cato, no longer with and see the cease. Calling the sirens, seen the murder in the streets. Now rest in peace. Is there heaven for a G? Remember me. So many homies in the cemetery shed so many tears. Ah, I saw so many years and shed so many tears. Lord, I said so many peers and shed so many tears Now that I'm struggling in this business by any means Let me be greedy, getting green, but seldom seen And fuck the world cause I'm cursed I'm having visions of leaving here in a hurts Others let me feel me, take from all the pressure and all the pain Show me some happiness to gain, I'm going blind I spent my time in the cell, ain't living well I know my destiny is hell, where did I fail? My life is in denial, and when I die Baptized in eternal fire, shed so many tears Lord, I shed so many tears and shed so many tears. Whew. That is undoubtedly one of my favorite Tupac songs. I remember when I first heard those lyrics for the first time, I was like just blown away by his honesty and his passion, the pain, the truth. It like hit me. But the thing that really stuck out to me, I felt like, like, this was the first time I ever heard prayer on a rap record. The entire song is one long prayer to God. Think about it. Now that I'm struggling in this business by any means, leaving me greedy, getting green, but seldom seen. And fuck the world because I'm cursed. I'm having visions of leaving here and it hurts. God, can you feel me? Take me away from all the pressure and all the pain. Show me some happiness again. I'm going blind. I spend my time in the cell and living well. I know my destiny is hell. Where did I fail? My life is in denial, and when I die, baptized in eternal fire, shed so many tears. Lord, I suffered through many years and shed so many tears. I didn't know at the time, but this song had an indelible effect on how I see the relationship of prayer to God. After all, what is prayer but nothing more than a conversation between the subject and his or her creator? I started to view, no, I'm sorry, I started to search for the authenticity in faith. Weirdly enough, this song impacted my love of jazz, and in particular singling out one of my favorite jazz albums of all time, which was released 30 years prior to this Tupac record. Now, if you pay close attention to my podcast art, you can catch it. The album I'm referencing is, of course, John Coltrane's The Love Supreme. Now, the beauty of that album, taking just a quick detour here, is that Coltrane was, prior to that, addicted badly to opium and heroin. In order to beat this demon addiction, it was recommended that he get on promethazine in order to quit the drug. Now, Coltrane refused because in his mind, he didn't want to use a drug in order to get off a drug. So he decided to quit cold turkey. Now, here's where the genius manifest. During this episode of his life, Coltrane attributes his kicking off the drug to God. In fact, it was God who was speaking to him through melody and song which had him write the initial sheet music for these 
incredible jazz records. His wellness and musical inspiration came directly from God. So what does it have to do with Tupac? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, if you listen to the album, The Love Supreme, it's of course a jazz album with no lyrics. But if you close your eyes and open your ears, you can almost hear the lyrics come through the drums, the saxophone, the trumpets, and the bass. John Coltrane is literally praying throughout the entire album with tracks called Acknowledgement, Resolution, Pursuance, and Psalms. It's, only, it's obviously littered, littered with religious themes, but as Coltrane put it, these songs were essentially a love letter to the creator. In fact, a love supreme marked the only time that Coltrane wrote album notes for an entire album, and he presented it in a poem. This was a spiritual manifesto, his most personal statement. It was clearly very important to him. He consciously designed it to be interfaith. And although the album actually is only 33 minutes long, he avoided the, the mention of Jesus or any religious figures on the record, just only referencing God. He wanted the record to be a modern identity black religious empowerment, not confined to the orthodoxy of the Christian faith. Now, I personally think that it ending in 33 minutes was actually significant. But despite all that, um, and, you know, despite, you know, fact of both Coltrane and Tupac saw their independent musical expressions as modern conversations, excuse me, prayers to God, speaks to a larger issue of how does Christianity, and well, in particular, the black church, consider, continues to modernize itself in presentation on how people choose to interact with God and the world around them. Listen, there's no secret that the black church is by the product of a wicked slavery institution. It's because of this legacy that oftentimes the church is saddled with the ideal of legacy and format, and therefore ostracizing those among us who seek to have an authentic relationship with God that doesn't revolve around the brick-and-mortar orthodoxy of black faith. So how does the church continue to thrive and survive when numbers show that black millennials and Generation Z members have moved away in mass and large numbers away from the church, with many unintentionally getting their Coltrane on and seeking another way to have a another way of worship that's away from the traditional avenues of faith and worship and opting said to operate with this quote unquote spirituality that regular Christian orthodoxy uh, doesn't have. It's not uncommon to hear people say I'm more spiritual than religious, especially in this current environment where black people are becoming more super sensitive to the progeny of social hierarchy of white supremacy. Can a church that was rooted in the primary objectivity of America's greatest sin evolve enough to keep its base of black congregants or are they destined to go the way to Dodo, a trajectory of irrelevance and non-cultural importance? Does a church recognize when someone is screaming about societal injustices, property, shame, destruction, all these things that are essentially uh, prayers of the people? If a riot is a language of the unheard, well, then songs and or mantras like So Many Tears are essentially the primal blood curdling of the overlooked. Both examples and, and both show examples or offer exchanges of black pain demonstration. However, it's up to the church to move where the riots are, where the riots and or the screaming is. Or, if I may invoke an interfaith non-Christian reference, shout out to John Coltrane, the mountain did not move from Muhammad, so Muhammad went to the mountain. <sighs> Welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. My name is Kamar Williams. I am your host. On our show, we say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion. After all, culture is another way to say discovered. We are on culture, we are biased, and we are black. Now, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, welcome to our show. Uh, you know what? 
Uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate you guys checking us out. If you are not a first-time listener and you're just returning, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Yo, if you're a first-time listener or welcome, um, you're just a returning listener and uh, current, always uh, supporting the show, we only ask that you guys continue to share the podcast. Can we say that sharing is caring on this show? So share with your friends, family, colleagues, even people you hate. I don't care that share the podcast. If you're going to share it, you can do it on, you know, I guess, text message or social media or even if you want to do email, I guess. Just go ahead and share that. Uh, let everybody know what we're doing. Um, if you're listening on a Apple device, uh, we ask that you uh, give us a review and a five-star review and a uh, message uh, saying how much you love the show, if you're so inclined. Uh, there's that a way for Apple to figure out if people are really engaging the show other than listening. Uh, so we just ask that people continue to do that. Um, that would really help as well. All right, so we're going to give a shout-out to our sponsors this week. Uh, new sponsor is uh, Coleman Law. So you can reach them at uh, www.coleman.law. Uh, you can reach them at 850-597-2990. By the time you hear this podcast, uh, tax season is already over, but you still may need to actually um, you know, file an extension or do whatever or handle your tax issues. And Coleman Law is a tax law firm that can help you along the way. So please contact Coleman Law, if you're so inclined. Also, if you're inclined to look for a real estate options, please con- please contact Keystone Global Real Estate. You can reach that at KeystoneGlobalRealEstate.com, um, you know, or at 407-680-8510. That's 407-680-8510. If you're in a market for real estate, both residential or commercial. And of course, if you're in a market for uh, wills, uh, estate planning, guardianships, trusts, and all that fun stuff, Contact my firm at Smith Williams Trial Group at 888-798-4529 or 888-SWTG-LAW. Of course, you can reach us at SWTGLAW.com or direct me to Williams at SWTGLAW.com or info at SWTGLAW.com. All right. Brilliant. We're actually going to get right into this podcast, and I want to bring on uh, our first-time guest, uh, Marcus Bar- is it Bishop, or how do you want me to say? You can say Marcus. Marcus McCoy. Um, and, uh, you are a gentleman of faith. Yes. You are a, um, minister or what's your official designation? I know you just want to call me Marcus. So pastor. Pastor. Pastor Marcus McCoy. Yes. And what church are you from? Senior pastor of the Greater Refuge Memorial Church in downtown Orlando, 596 West Church Street in downtown in the confines of Paramore. Okay. Yeah. Right in the middle of the black community. Right in the middle. That's wonderful. Yeah. How long you been a uh, pastor? So pastoring now four years. Wow. Uh, this year will make the fourth year. Uh, so you're a senior. So <laughs> literally a senior. You said senior, but you know, you literally are senior year. <laughs> this is my senior year. Yeah. Uh, took over from my father who retired at the age of fifty five. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the church voted me in as senior pastor. Wow. Okay. So it's literally in the blood. It's in the blood. Yeah. You know, the church that we're at now, my grandfather actually pastored mm. uh, and my pa- father pastored and now I'm a pastor. So a McCoy has been at the helm of this church for how many years now? Uh, we would say 40 years. Wow. 40 plus years. 40 years. Yeah. Wow. Since the 1981. Something like 82. that. Yeah. 82. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's uh, incredible, and how? But, but also being a pastor, but how long have is your family been associated with the church? Yes, yeah, so I'm fifth generation mm-hmm. uh, apostolic, if you would, mm-hmm. or Pentecostal. Okay, so it dates back to my great 
great, great grandma, Mary. Wow. Who's been a part of what we call the church of our Lord, Jesus Christ. That's the organization that we're part of. And all at central Florida. No, no, no. So that's nation. Well, international, right? The church, uh, is based out of New York. Okay. Headquartered in New York, but we have churches domestically and internationally. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. So I always like to ask, uh, especially first time guests, um, you know, when you, you know, first time listening to this podcast or, you know, being a part of it, uh, what did you take from the opening statement and, that I was making? And did you pull anything? You know, this is my time to give you because I took up a lot of air in the beginning. So, like, you know, some things that you kind of received from that or maybe even like a challenge or whatnot. But I just want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, was um, really intrigued by the piece where you talked about Colhane. Coltrane. Coltrane. Yeah. And y'all have to excuse me. No. Yeah, yeah, no. It's Col- Coltrane yeah. and how the album didn't have any lyrics to it. Yeah. Uh, but if you listened, you could hear yeah. lyrics being ministered. And that just took me to David, mm. uh, who uh, was a skilled musician. He was not only the king of Israel, but was a skilled musician. Right. And ministered to Saul, who was the king. Yeah. And Saul, when he was troubled in his spirit, he called on David to play yeah, and not to sing, but yeah, to, to play. play. Yeah. And those uh, troubling issues yeah. were then removed because of the skillfulness yeah. uh, and the things that were being unsaid. Yeah. 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 So I really identified with that. And, you know, to, to tie it all in, like, you know, um, the Psalms, which were written by David. Correct. And on the album, it's called Psalms. Really? Yeah, there's a there's a track called the song. Psalms. I'm gonna have to go listen to this. Yes, and I, I will tell you, like I said, it's literally a long form prayer. Wow, it's probably like an hour long record. I, mean, I don't know, but it's it's my favorite record. I, what I was, um, I know I did a whole opening with John Coltrane, but you know, I just, I love talking about the Love Supreme. Um, I remember I was introduced to it in my 20s. Okay, and in college, and um. I was listening to the record and, a, you know, a friend gave me the album because it obviously it predates me. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. And he was like, yeah, did you listen to listen to it? I was like, no. He said, okay. Well, I mean, yeah, of course I listened to it. He's like, no, you didn't listen to it. I said, how do you know? He said, because you didn't tell me any lyrics. I said, there's no lyrics, Jacob, throughout the entire album. He said, you didn't listen to it. And so he's like, oh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home, take the album again, and turn, close your eyes, lay down, and listen and see if you can hear words coming out of the songs. Mm. You know? And then you can come back and have a conversation about the album, about John Coltrane, about, you know, the love, the love Supreme. You know? And, of course, he does say, you know, he mentions the Love Supreme, the Love Supreme, like, throughout the album. But essentially, it's just, there's no lyrics. But they are, though. They're, they are. You know, and it's where, and this is the thing. The lyrics are because where God, God is present within those records. You can hear both the conversation between Coltrane and God because he's so happy mm. that God delivered him. This is a exclamation record. Mm. These are exclamation records on, the, on this, on, the, uh, on wax. He's happy. He's celebrating. He's, he's literally telling God, thank you. Wow. But you can't hear. And that's why it's called the love supreme, because it was supreme love that brought him out of the despair that he was in. Wow. Wow. That takes him to the scripture that said he inhabits the praises of its people. Mm. So 
Right. When you get into that place, God will come and sit right. like directly right where you are. Right. And you can minister. Right. He can minister to you and you to him. Right. And so it's I'm glad you said that because it shows that, you know, God doesn't have to be in specific space of how we tend to like limit him. He's like, I would like he said, I will meet you where you are. I will come and communicate to you mm-hmm. in a space that is comfortable and that, you know, you can understand me. Yeah. You know, and so it's unfortunate that it took him to get over drugs. But sometimes it's in our hardships where we meet, you know, God and we actually have the authentic conversations with him about our life, our despair, and what we're doing and why we're here. Absolutely. Absolutely. The text teaches us that tribulation worketh patience Mm. and patience experience and experience gives us hope. Right. So without those tribulations, and it even talks about glory in your tribulations, yeah. because at the end of it, you're going to be made better. You're going to be refined. Mm. You're going to see yourself and God in a totally different light. Mm. So it's it's almost like you have to go through these you things. You have to go through. You yeah. have to go through. And, and so many people feel like uh, once you name the name of Christ or you decide to follow Christ that... You know, you're not going to have tribulations. Right. And some of the most heinous things were done to people of faith, right. and they had to go through. I mean, when you talk about John the Baptist, people were beheaded, were right. uh, put in jail. Right. Talk about things that Tupac, Martin Luther King, and Jesus had in common. Mm. They're all returning citizens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. you're going to have to go through go through things. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, this is where I, I, I want to take this conversation because I, I think about you know black people, and this is, my podcast is centered on black culture. Um, sometimes I I wonder, you know, I, and I, last year we had this podcast called uh, Modern Faith Space and uh, Faith in the Modern Space, and uh, Pastor jo- David Jock was on on there and was good well, guy, yeah, well received, and we talked about how slavery. You know, how can how can there be a God who allowed such atrocities to happen to his people, you know, and why? But then it's like when you're thinking something, and I still don't believe, I still don't think God wanted slavery, mm-hmm. right? This was a human construct, right? But it's tribulations that we have gone through as a people that we continue to go through. And, you know, it's, we've continued, we've thrived, yeah, you know, and it's shown our strength. Now we we didn't need to go through slavery and all the tr- atrocities attributed to it and white supremacy in order to show our strength and our beauty because we had that on the continent mm-hmm. already, you know, on Mother Africa. But um, when you see or you uh, when you hear scripture like that, it makes me it puts me in a framework. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I don't think it was God's design, design nor desire. For us to have to go through some of the things that we've gone through, even when you look at uh, the children of Israel, um, his called, those were his children. And when he was taking them from Egyptian bondage to what was called the promised land, that journey should have only taken 11 days Mm. from Egypt to where he end up placing them. But because of their unwillingness to honor him, for whatever reason, it took 40 years. Yeah. So sometimes God has to take you the long way um, for you to recognize who he is in your life. Um, And um, I know many people who appreciate that, you know, what 
should have took an 11 day, took 40 years, but I see myself and God totally different than I would have if I would have never went through anything. So let's go ahead and challenge this though, right? Okay. Because then there are those who may say, and I said this last year, they may say like, you know, can a God exist in a space where he openly allows such pain and torture and degradation happen to a group of people? Like how, how can God exist in that space? Where Where is God? Yeah. I think he can exist when you take off the confines of what you see God to be. Hmm. Um, he teaches us that his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And oftentimes when we view God, we try to view God in our finite way of thinking. And so it's important that if you're going to believe that there is a God, you have to believe that he is a God that wants good for you. Though you may have to go through struggles, trials, tribulations, though there are things that are under not understood mm-hmm. in the world, um, you still have to think that he's still for you and that whatever you're going through, it's for a purpose, it's for a reason. And at the end, you may not understand it. This is the faith that we come from. You may not understand it clearly here, but there will come a time where it will be revealed that the suffering that we all went through, um, it was for a greater purpose. But how can God loves, love you? Because we talk about we, we are his people, we are his sheep. Absolutely. How can God love you? Or let's say you have a child. Do you have any children? I have two. Okay. So you... I have two children. Okay. And in having those children, I would, my children, and I'm assuming the same thing with you, I can never imagine putting harm in their head so they can learn a lesson. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I have two daughters. Um, I was joking with friends of mine. Um, they have boys. And I said to them, um, they were like, yeah, I had to snatch up my son, you know, and, you know, kind of give him a little pop, like a little pop to kind of get him together. Harm, yeah, huh? A little harm, a little harm, right? Little <laughs> little love tap, right? Okay. To get him get him together because he just was being a knucklehead. And I said that's fascinating. I said I've never laid a hand on my daughters, never laid a hand on them. I said na- namely because I don't want my daughters to be comfortable with the concept of a man putting hands on them, mm-hmm. and so they've never they'll they never have, and I never will, you know, put my hands on them. I, obviously, I've never put hands on their mother either. You know, so I don't even want them to see violence. Mm-hmm. There's no violence in this home. Now, I may raise my voice, but even when I raise my voice, I don't want to yell at them because I don't want them to think it's okay for a man to, you know, raise his voice to a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, he could be excited. He can have, give levels of, you know, uh, of discomfort of how he feels about the situation, but he should never raise his voice to you Absolutely. to communicate to you. So I say all that to say, that's my love to my children because I would never, I don't want harm coming on them. And I'm assuming you don't want harm to ever come on your children. So why would God want harm to come onto his children? Yeah, I don't think it's wanting harm. I think you have to look at it through a different lens. Mm-hmm. I think it's looking at um, sometimes we, because of whatever we, and I, let me just say this to listeners, I don't presume to know everything. No, no, no. <laughs> I, you know, you're not omnipresent, right? But we're. But these are yeah. my thoughts. This is yeah. what I feel, um, you know, my experiences with God. Right. That uh, going through situations is not like God wanting harm for you. Mm-hmm. Um, as a parent, I'm, 
as a new parent uh, of two young children, often rely on the advisement of parents who have raised children. And some parents will tell you that sometimes they've had to let go of their children in order for them to get to a place of responsibility. And so it was, it was hurtful for them to let the child go and to fall. It was hurtful for them to see the child struggle. But at the end they knew that the child needed this struggle. The child needed this uncomfortability to get to a place that it understood that it has to be held accountable. Yeah. Um, and so I see the same thing with God. Uh, a lot of things we say God uh, does, it, it's more so I would like to say he allows, and he allows it for a purpose. But what is the purpose? What can be the purpose of? of and that's the faith. Mutilization and, you know, like what can be the purpose of indoctrination? What can be the purpose? What? Why would... You know, why would something want to create such an environment of pain? Yeah. like And because uh, he's allowing it. And I'm not talking about saying I don't believe in God. Oh, but, yeah. But I'm talking about for those who say that God doesn't exist because God existed. There wouldn't be pain in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, right? who says that? Where, where, where do we get that construct that there won't be pain in the world because God exists? I don't. I, yeah. So, yeah, right. so you, so you attribute something to a God that you don't even have a relationship with, because hmm. God, because God never says in His Word, He never teaches us that you won't go through pain. Hmm. Matter of fact, He says all things work together, together for those who love the Lord. For those who love the Lord, and so yeah. we take that all the good, the bad, the things we understand, and the things that we don't understand, and that is the faith that one has to have. Right. That. I may not understand why he's taking me this way. I may not understand why there is uh, such degradation and, you know, issues going on in the world. I don't understand why, you know, parents, uh, children are taken away from their parents. And you see all the just atrocity in the world. I don't understand it at all. But I know and I feel that there's a greater purpose Mm -hmm. for this. Um, Because if you don't, then you allow yourself to become this, you know, you become overwhelmed okay. by what you see. Yeah. And that's what faith does. Faith helps you balance yeah. what's going on in the world. Because if you don't, I, for me, if I didn't have faith and an understanding that what I'm going through is for a greater purpose, I would collapse. Yeah. Because there is so, so much that the world individuals we, we have to face and go through. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, so, you know, I, I want to uh, continue to push the conversation forward and let's talk about the modern church. Um, you know, I mentioned in my opening how uh, generation Z and millennials are moving away from, church do you see that as well or have you seen the numbers yes okay so there was a study of uh done by the pew research uh dr bradley uh who did a new study for uh, african americans um in the black church it was a 2022 2021 study just came out 2022 Mm -hmm. and they did say that there is a falling away of millennials yeah from the 
traditional, and I'm doing quotes, y'all quotes. quotes here. Yes, yes. <laughs> traditional, quote unquote, black church. So yes. yes, there there's data to substantiate that. What are your thoughts on that? On why? It's it's diverse. Um, the black church is not monolithic, right? Um, and so neither is the subject. So, <laughs> I, can I get it? Yeah, an opinion, and then you tell me I'm right and wrong. You'd be like, and you know, you can be just like my wife. Like you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, and, or as people might listen to this podcast, like Kamar doesn't know what he's talking about. But I think two things. Number one, the church has failed to adjust to its mod- to modern scope of how people see the world. Right, and we can delve into that in a moment. And also, it's that people don't see themselves in the church anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, why would I be a part of something that I don't see myself in, or I don't see the representation that I'm looking for? You know, I don't see like my ideals being shown through this particular periscope of faith. Yeah, I would agree that two of those. Our reasons, um, mm-hmm. but I would add this one uh, for me as the prevailing is because the church has forgotten its mission, hmm. um, which is which is to minister to the lost. Wow. It's almost like the church nowadays wants to only minister to people who are fixed, yeah, and that we don't want to really get down into the weeds of dealing with people who are dealing with a multiplicity of issues. It's become the, it become the gym for the weightlifter <laughs> and not and a social club. Yeah. If you would, right. instead of a hospital. Mm. And so yeah. when you really think of a church for me, a church is a place where the wounded comes. Our church is called greater refuge. Mm. Our tagline is refuge, your place of safety. And so we're downtown, and so I often have to remember, remind my congregants who are older that, you know, you can't be looking at people sideways when they come through this door and they have a smell. We're in the middle of Paramore, downtown Orlando. Homelessness. Homelessness. Yeah. um, Mental illness. Yeah. um, Abandonment. All of that. And people, when they see the doors of the church open, they're expecting to to receive people who are going to receive them. And then if you are, you know, not in a place for that, this is not the place for you to be. Fascinating thing is that Jesus probably smelled. Maybe. Because he. I hope he didn't, but maybe he did. No, but I, I, and I'm not saying that is, you know, to be derogatory. I understand. I understand. You know, but I, I say that because he lived among the people. He, yeah. He wasn't someone who, you know, from what we know in teachings, he wasn't someone who lived, you know, in a singular home. He traveled. Correct. And he sometimes slept on floors. You know, and he sometimes he walked, he walks amongst the people. You know, he wasn't man. He, he was clearly not a man of, of wealth as far as, you know, earthly wealth. Absolutely. But a man of somebody who maybe lived off the generous, the kindness of his followers. You Brother know, Williams, you've been, you've been reading your Bible, huh? I mean, I have, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'm going to admit I used to, I'm not, I'm not as fervent as I used to be. Sounds like you know something about Jesus. Uh, well, you know, you know, I mean, I'm. I, I did have some some foundations. Very good, very good. You're you know? right. You're right. Yeah. And so I um I I think to myself that had Jesus walked into greater refuge, mm-hmm. uh, some may not recognize him because he didn't come through the aesthetic that we're you know expecting, and they may be like, oh, he got a he got an odor, a bo. 
you know, he got a he got a godly bo, right? <laughs> right, because um, and, and we do we do have hygiene bags for those individuals right, who need. <laughs> right, right. Imagine giving Jesus a hygiene bag. He'd be like, uh, "Sir, <laughs> oh God, that's funny." But you know, in, in, in realness, I hear people who say, or you read it and you hear it and you, hear, you speak to people say, "You know what? I left the church because I didn't like." the way they treated me, Mm -hmm. you know, um, I didn't, I I stopped going to church because X, Y, and Z. And I have my opinions on it, but I want to hear your viewpoint on that. Do you feel, do you, how do you feel when you hear people, or have you heard people say that? Yes. Hear it, heard it, uh, hear it. Mm -hmm. And I sympathize with those individuals, Mm -hmm. um, because there is something called church hurt. Yeah. And that's real. Mm -hmm. And I want anyone out there, who is listening, you may experience church hurt. I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, and I want to, you know, say that I'm sorry you had to go through that. You had to experience mm-hmm. church hurt on whatever level it was. Yeah. Um, but Jesus didn't do it, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, don't turn your back on him just because you had to go through an unfriendly experience with the people who call themselves his disciples. Right. I often, often try to remind people, you know, you go through hurt on your job, yeah. but you get up every day right. and go through it. You, you, you go through hypocrites yeah. Uh, yeah. in your own house, but yeah. that don't stop you from opening up your door. It don't stop you from going home. <laughs> and going home. Right. Yeah. So if we could just with that same, Type keep, that, of, keep that energy. Keep that energy. Keep that same energy. Keep that same energy. Yeah. Um. I think that you'll get through it. Yeah. Um. Others. I've been hurt by church. Again, fifth generation. Yeah. Um. Um. Born and raised in the church. Literally, almost born and raised. I was fourteen days old. Mm. Born. Um, and they put you on. They put you on a pew and be mm, like, you know, <laughs> my first convention. Um. Yeah. Fourteen days old. I was at my first. Right. Uh, convention, you know, um, people still talk about my mom to this day about had the baby out there with. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, born and raised. Black in people tr- would talk about new baby, like oh, he that baby out there. You know, he's supposed to be in the house for eight weeks. You know, <laughs> you know. But I was at church, so yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it. I won't say it all, but I've seen it. I've heard it. I felt it. Yeah, I've experienced it. But like you said, keep that same energy. Yeah, um, you know my my thoughts and literally going along the same lines is that okay, you've had a broken heart before. Does that mean you never want to fall in love? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it sucks. It hurts. Going through a broken heart can really can change you. It can make you bitter. Yeah, you know, opening yourself up, and then through opening yourself up, you become vulnerable, and you know, you might sort of sometimes question like, why did I allow myself to be so vulnerable mm-hmm. to this? Mm-hmm. Because at the time, there was something unique in that because. You felt it. You felt love. And when you experience love, it's a very addictive toxin yeah. to continue with. But sometimes that love can be poisonous because it's a toxin. Mm-hmm. And that poison, that toxicity, you know, can make you, can harm the body. And so some people are like, I I had had love and it hurts and I had to walk away. But the thing about love is if you've really, really had it, you want to go back towards it, you know? And so church should be the same thing. Yeah. You know, or faith should be the same thing because faith, when you've had, when you've really had faith, 
If you've really experienced it, you've te- you've touched it, you've tasted it, you've been engulfed in it, it's been cloaked around you through the chilling moments of your mm-hmm. life, you know, and, you know, the bitter cold is whipping on your shoulders, but it was faith who put its blankets around you and protect you from the chilliness of the, of the, of the world. When you've had that, nobody wants to go back in the elements without a jacket on. You better pick this picture. Did y'all see that? <laughs> the chilliness, the cold. You better paint this picture. Listen, yeah, listen. You can you can use that on Sunday. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. I ain't going to charge the game. You know, so you can use that on Sunday. You know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's true though. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I just I I I understand it, but I also want people. I want to challenge people. To say, like, you have to look at it through a bigger lens mm-hmm. and not through your own hurt, but look at through the, the bigger lens framework of your life or the world, you know, because we often want to attribute this particular attitude to that particular sector of your experience. But then we don't want to transfer it to something else. Mm-hmm. It's like people who say LeBron James shouldn't be, uh, he should stick to sports, right? He shouldn't be, while he's doing sports, Playing basketball, he shouldn't be commenting on social issues mm-hmm. with the irony that they're like at work, <laughs> you know, making a uh, social media post yeah. about social issues. Maybe you should stick to accounting, <laughs> right? But we don't take, we don't keep that same energy. We don't keep that same because energy. we often we, we forget we we bifurcate our own experiences when it doesn't align with our biases correct you know and that's a poisonous thing so um speaking of you know or going keeping it forward keeping it pushing um when you talk about just the modernization of the black church and it's in my opinion that you know there was a lost opportunity in the last 20 30 years of really getting into black liberation theory are you familiar with that theory yes okay you want to want to speak on that? Yeah, um, I agree. There were yeah. missed opportunities. Yeah, um, because black people during that time were just getting, in my opinion, to a certain level of wealth and influence. Yeah, and so once you reach a certain level of comfortability, yeah, um, and, and means, yeah. You don't want too much disrupting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat. You know what I'm saying? We, we, money's good over here. Money's good over here. Life is fresh. I mean, you talk about during that time, you talk about for the church. Yeah. I mean, you go back to, you know, your preachers. You, you had some, I think, uh, preachers of L.A. and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just glamorizing, yeah. you know, the lifestyle of the, the preacher um, and even the church yeah. um, during that time, some of your biggest ministries mm-hmm. were built, mm-hmm. um, and I believe the church did has gotten to a level of comfortability and doesn't want, in some respect, to have to fight some battles. So you know, I, I was thinking about um, see if you can follow my train of thought. Okay. Uh, in the 80s, uh, drug dealers used to wear flashy clothes, mm-hmm. right? 
um, you know, accoutrements of success, the big chains and the big watches and, you know, and designer. Um, and they'd be in the hood and they'd get the cars. And it was designed to do one thing, to attract people mm-hmm. into the lifestyle, right? Because I don't have that, but I see he has it. How do you get that? Ah, I have to, con- I have to participate in that. And then, you know, you have people who are born out of those, those hard environments who say or see, like, you know, the way to attract the prosperity of God is to show the prosperity on oneself. And so they wear the accoutrements of success. You know, they have the, the big cars, the nice clothing, you know, the jets, some even, you know, saying I have to get 20 something. You know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Not saying I know because I said, but I'm saying like, but, you know, but it's the idea that you know, if you can show that worshiping God can bring you these things. Then, then what's the problem? What what is the issue? That's what you hear. Like, what is the issue of showing God's favor? You know, and so prosperity gospels are very we have become popular, especially especially for those, to your point, who have a ideal of um, economic, you know, uh, advancement, mm-hmm. and they say, you know what? I believe it's nothing wrong with making money. God wants you to make money so you can help help the others. But we talk about sometimes something becomes so toxic, toxicity of it, you know. And so, you know, I look at it like there's, it's become a toxic thing that has turned people off. Now they put their fingers to their nose because, like, I don't want to smell that toxicity of, toxicity of the prosperity of God. And it's been bastardized, you know, uh, curated into something not so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you agree or disagree? I, d- I agree wholeheartedly. And I say it's too much of it, mm. you know. Now, let me just say this. I don't believe anything is wrong with the blessings of the Lord. For the blessings of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow. I'm not sorry right. about how God has favored me. Yeah. I'm not sorry about the doors he's open. I'm not sorry for the houses that I live in that I didn't pay for yeah. uh, or the land that I'm yeah. with that that. That he has gone before me. So we're not saying none of that. But when that is the focus and you have lost the spirit of like liberation, that when you are focused more on the bottom line Mm -hmm. of how much is coming in and not how much you're giving out, then that's where you, you, you get an imbalance. And that's where the toxicity, you talk about it. And so... Um, we try to make sure that our ministry focuses on outreach yeah. and that no matter how, you know, the God blesses and Bishop Derek McCray, I don't know if you all know him out yeah. of the experience Christian center, yeah. a shout out to Bishop McCray. He teaches us. He was supposed to be on this podcast by the way, but you know, really? we, we going to get, I ain't going to get onto you Bishop. <laughs> you know, you know so, today's know, a busy I, day. It's know, good Friday. It's good Friday. By the time people hear it, it's after Easter, but yes, it's a good Friday. Yes. I will make yeah. sure. I will make sure he shows and up. And actually, you know what? He's actually, um, he just celebrated an anniversary. Yes. So shout out to him as well. Yes. I'm just, I'm just, Tim and Lady T. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so Bishop teaches us, um, even with his setup, um, that his biggest line item yeah. or budget is outreach. Yeah. Mm. And so no matter how much we take in, yeah. we're putting that much that much out. Yeah. And so I think that's where the 
the balance have to has to be that if you are all about cars and clothes, and again, we're not with that, but you're not helping us mm-hmm. on um, April the 19th to be in Tallahassee to stand up against uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. And and we're we're going to get to that. And these maps. We're going to get to that. Then I got issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going <laughs> to get got, to that. I got issues with you. If yeah. you are not, you know, fighting the good fight and ensuring that people have what they need. And I'm not saying that we all have to do everything. Right. Um, but everyone can do something. Yeah. And no one should do nothing. Right. And I just feel like it's a bunch of nothing going on. Right. When so much could be happening. Right. So here's the thing, right? So I do, to that point, it's it's a missed idea of, a missed opportunity of um, pushing of ideas, an mm-hmm. ideal, right? Um the internet has really created an amazing environment for people to become more aware, but it's almost like as we become more aware in the world, we become so desensitized Mm. to everything. Absolutely. And so in that awareness, a lot more black people are becoming aware of white supremacy and how it really ties into the very framework of the American society. And with the black church really being raised from the ashes of white supremacy, mm-hmm. how do you modernize something that was born of hate and pain? Yeah. Speak a little more, more on that. More you would say modernize. Like, because there are those who may look at it like, I don't want to be a part of something that was bred from slavery. I don't want to be a part of something that was like Christianity, you know, Christianity was imparted on us because they wanted to keep us, you know, in line. They, gotcha. You know what I mean? Like so how do you modernize the ideals of the black church, you know, from people who look at things from this, the view of tackling white supremacy? Yeah. I think you have to go beyond what you understand the the church to be. And so like you have to go to the establishment of the church, Peter. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you got to go back, yeah. you know, and the, the church was, and the tenets of the church as we know them were long here before quote unquote white supremacy yeah. was here. Yeah. And I understand the argument that the black church in some way, um, some of our ideals and things were were birthed right. through it, but the concept of who the church really is yeah. goes beyond that. Yeah. So I don't want us to get stuck on that 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 nuance mm-hmm. that we make that the end all be all of everything. Right. And so I think if we again go back to our roots as we talk about who the church is, what the church was meant to be. Um, when you, I, I, when you started off, you talked about, um, I think something around the lines of the church, uh, coming out of the four walls or something like that. Uh, I thought you were referencing in the rap. Um, the, ch- the church was in houses, right? Yeah. When we say the old church, the new Testament church, as you understand the biblical church, yeah, they, we weren't in buildings. It was a community. Yeah. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't these brick and mortar things. Yes. Churches. Churches where you're at. 
churches were where you were at. Yeah. They met you. That's why Jesus traveled right. so much. Right. Uh, he met you at the point of your need. And so I want us to, to, to refocus our attention. I mean, not ignoring certain things, but let's not get bogged down in that because that's not, that's not all of who we are. Right. Right. Um, we, so I, I'm glad you mentioned the lyrics or we talked about, you know, I'm, opened with Tupac and you know when I said like it was my it, and the same thing with Coltrane it was my idea that um, recognizing what prayer is and recognizing how um, it was a modern idea of how we see prayer and I always thought to myself it'd be fascinating it should be if church would take on and I understand it's hard because sometimes the lyrics can be a little bit you know a little bit colorful, right? Risque. Risque, right? <laughs> but um, why is it that the church doesn't embrace, you know, the the tenets of, let's say, um, musical expression that is not so much Christian, right? But uh, but, but it has, you, you know what I'm saying? Because that, that song wasn't a Christian song, but it's literally, you know, it had the fabric of Christianity in it because he was talking to God. He's talking, he's talking about, I'm going to go to hell because of the things I've done in my life. And I'm, and it says in that, in that particular um, song, I'm banging, you know, banging for God to let me into heaven's door. You know what I mean? So like I say all that to say, cause I know I'm very esoteric right now, but I'm saying that it's the idea of like, maybe the church has to adjust in how they see faith. Absolutely. My father says this <clears throat> methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. Principles mm. never do. Right. So he teaches us that as long as you keep the principle of the thing mm. and the foundation, right. the methods can always change. Right. And where the black church is now, mm. we're still holding on to old methods. Right. Because we think these methods are principles. And actually, they are not right. principles. Right. Uh in an, as an addendum to that, the church is not moving into a more modern age because the church is not led by modern individuals. Let's talk about that. The church as a whole is in a backlog of leadership. There mm-hmm. are people who should be off the scene, retired, mm-hmm. still trying to lead right. the church. Right. And so that's why you have, um, uh, what would you say, uh, eight uh, what is it? An eight track generation or eight mm-hmm. type of leadership right. in a CD generation? We're not CD anymore. <laughs> well, what are we? we MP3. We, yeah, we're we're you know streaming, streaming, streaming. Yes. Look at me. Yeah, I'm even behind. Yeah. But- so yeah, you know, So you might it, actually. There might be more apropos is you have a cassette generation trying to talk to a streaming generation. Just not talk to, trying to lead. Right. Right. And telling the streaming generation, oh, you got a few more years. Right. You, you just sit back. Right. And so much is being lost right. because people who, for whatever reason, never felt that they had their chance yeah. just wants to. You, so here's the funny thing about that, just keeping along with that analogy, right? Uh, the cassette players really, in order to get broadcast music, you had to get a box, a boom box, or a little cassette player. So in order to really get something, you had to put it into and something so. in order to receive the benefit out of it. Right. That's how we received information. That's how we received whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Whether it was 
music or whatever information. But in streaming generation, I don't need to be inside of something in order to receive it, right? So you have a streaming generation who says information should not be through, you know, the brick and mortar of church. It should be through whenever and however and how and why, you know, wherever and however I get the information. Absolutely. So there's a disconnect because they don't see the world you know, in the same way. And they don't see faith because faith is not where, whereas a cassette generation, faith has to be within a specific space in order to get, drive the benefit so from that it. I can control. It's all about control in some respect. Whereas the streaming's like, I, faith can be wherever I want to place it. Wherever I want to place it. So we talked about Peter and sometimes people, people confuse where they say, Peter, you know, he's the rock. Although Peter means rock, they say Peter's the rock of the church. Mm-hmm. But in reality, what Jesus said when Peter said uh, Christ Jesus, you know, is you know the son, the son of the Lord. And I'm said, following you, and he says, and that's where Christ says, and this is where I lay my, this is where I lay the church. Mm-hmm. It's on the faith, not on Peter. Correct. Upon this rock. Upon this rock, I build my church. I build my church on the faith. Right on the faith. So faith can be anywhere. Anywhere. It could be on the street. It could be. That means it should be streaming. It says now faith. Right. Is the substance of things hoped for and, and the, the evidence, evidence of things, things not seen. Now faith. Yeah. If you can believe it now, right. wherever you are, yeah. it can manifest. Yeah. It doesn't have to be in the church. Right. Right. It yeah. can be in the club. It could be. It should be. So, I, I, you, know, I, I, you know what I said one time? I, to, I told a pastor, that I, I said, man, one Easter Sunday... You know, it was a pa- it was packed. So you just I was like, "How oh, this is great! Black people looking good, everybody coming out." I said, "You know what y'all should do one day, one Easter, y'all should go down to the um, what's that park right hit down here in um, downtown, the, in the middle uh, uh, next to um, uh, don't get me the uh, next to the Citrus Bowl. Yes, they just renovated. Yeah, <sighs> Doom Lake Lake Line of Doom. Thank you. Yeah, and um, before it was renovated." You know, when you remember, we remember what Lake Lana Dune used to look like before it was renovated. They would let us go down there as kids. Right, because it had a lot of people on Lake Lana Dune that on a Sunday. On a Sunday. You know, that were just hanging out, you know, drinking, smoking, Have doing drugs. Time. On a Sunday morning, you know, sometimes um, tricking. On a Sunday. On a Sunday. And I said, man, I told this pastor, I said, you should one Sunday really do service over there mm-hmm. say hey we're not going to be in the church on this easter sunday we're gonna we're not going to tell that you know but we're just gonna one day just kind of i'm going to get get on a box stand up and start preaching at lake line of doom mm-hmm. and i said that would be a fascinating thing because you're now you're preaching to the to the congregants yeah who are not who are never going to make it to easter service yeah and he was like, oh, that's an idea. You know, when black people say, yeah, yeah, that's an idea. That, that means that's not, you know, but I was like, that's that's really, just one, I, I said, you didn't have to make it a tradition. I said, just one, one, it didn't even have to be Easter. I said, but one Sunday, just try, just try that. Yeah. Um, they don't want to do that. I said that 10 years ago. Um, you know, and, you know, it goes to the point of, I was trying to push them out of their comfort zone of how they deliver faith in mm-hmm. the message. You know, because it's great for us all get into, you know, wear our Sunday best. It's great for us to go to the church and wear our Sunday best. Correct. But sometimes people don't even, they're not even going to make it to the church. So you got to, you have to meet them where they're at. 
He says, go out, Mark 16, 15, go right. out into all the world. Right. All the world. Right. Just not the world of the church, but right. all the world. Right. Whatever worlds mm. you can find yourself, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It was Paul who went to everywhere in order to spread it. Paul didn't say, hey, meet me over here in order for me, you know, for y'all to get this word. Paul said, I will be in a prison. He was in the prison. Yeah. A lot of his letters were written in prison, in, in jail. In jail, you know. But, he, you know, Paul also was ministering to those in the jail. In the jail. You know, and so that's where I, I was trying to tell this particular person, mm -hmm. you should have a Paul-like service one day. Mm -hmm. go, to the, go to the spaces that don't smell so good, don't look so good, and minister. And, and that's what I said, when the church has forgotten who they are. Yeah. That is why we are somewhat in the predicament we're in, because we have forgotten our mandate, our mission, yeah. our purpose. Yeah. So let's talk about white supremacy and um, and how it's really, um, it's hurt the church because how sometimes people end up uh, creating ideals with on, on white supremacy unknowingly, or anti-blackness rather. Okay. Right? And specifically you mentioned Ron, Ron DeSantis and these laws and even going down the muck and mire of it, how... The churches are often afraid to really, you know, take on stances that mean a lot to black people mm -hmm. because they're afraid of losing either, you know, money, funding, or their status, right? But it's weird because I never see churches that lose their status because somebody decided to make a political statement. Brother, I don't know where they get it from. I I don't know what you're losing. Right. But you're right. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't see it. You know, people say, well, we can't be too political because we lose status. I'm like, can you and I was, can you show me the church that lost its status because they made tell show it to me. Show it to me that th that happens. And I can show you a million that are literally talking about vote for this person because he's aligned with God. Exactly. Right. It's it's a cop out. Right. It's a hide behind. It's sad. Right. It's very, very sad the way the church has just dropped the ball on the opportunities that have been afforded to it to arise and to be a shining light mm -hmm. and beacon of hope. Right. Now that's, you know, clay clash uh that's something that we always say. Right. But yeah, I, I don't know where they get it from, um, but I pray that this last go-round of the things that we've seen, like yeah. you said, we've seen white supremacy mm -hmm. through the media having able to access it. We've seen it at such a, a higher rate that the injustice that people are seeing, I pray that people are, are getting more emboldened to speak up. So you, you even have churches who are afraid to say white supremacy. Yeah, they're afraid. To admit, they're afraid to talk. Say it on Sunday. It's it's a trick of the enemy. It really is a trick of the enemy. Yeah, to make you feel like you can't call, and that's what he's called us to do. To do to call out. Yeah, to to speak up. And I just I just don't know what what the hindrances are, um, other than people just don't want to be bothered. Well, you know what's going to happen. Church will die on the vine because black people want to see them. We talk about see themselves. If I'm a black liberator. And I see white supremacy around me, and I don't. I I go to a place that doesn't want to acknowledge it. 
you know, doesn't want to get into it, then I don't see myself in that church. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I don't see myself in that faith. Mm-hmm. And that, and it, it's a missed thought process, a missed opportunity for a lot of pastors, a lot of bishops, a lot of preachers who don't want to attack it head on. Because I'm going to tell you, for those that, you know, we talked in the 50s and 60s, they were not afraid to say this was racist. We have to attack racism. Imagine if they would have said, we can't talk about race. And I know laws were put in the 1980s that restricted political speech. It was done again to make people fearful of getting too political. But again, nobody's, nobody's taking away a status because somebody else decided to speak truth to power. Mm-hmm. And so I see a church that's afraid to talk about white supremacy. Then I see a church who's afraid to talk about truth. And if I see churches afraid to talk about truth, then what you're doing is probably you're, you know, idealizing lies, you know, and misinformation. And nobody wants to be part of a church that only idealizes lies and misinformation. It's hard to call out something that you are. Ooh. Ooh. And so we, a lot of times we talk about the white supremacy, but what about the oppression, the suppression, the depression that's going on in the church? Yeah. By our own people. Yeah. And so it's kind of hypocritical. They're profiteers of white supremacy. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. It's it's kind of hypocritical at times mm. for you to be calling out things and you are that. Right. In the black context. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned you're with an organization, um, Equal Ground. Yes, Equal Ground. A black-led, um, black-focused uh, civil rights a voting rights organization yeah. uh, based out of Orlando, Florida, founded uh, in 2019 by Miss Jasmine Bernie Clark, yeah. a Bethune-Cookman uh, University grad. I know I'm looking at FAMU uh, yeah, yeah, degrees we're, we're here. Fam- but it's okay. We, it's, it's HBCU <laughs> love. You know what I'm saying? HBCU love. You know, we HBCU don't, you know. She's time, also a graduate of, of FAMU. Yeah, the only so time we, we don't it, we don't rock is when it's classic. It's the classic. But then it's, it's family thing. So we don't, let other, we don't let other people like, you know. Hey, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Stay it's like, in your lane. Stay in your lane. Listen, it's like that Will Smith, Chris Rock. Hey, we can talk about it, but y'all need to shut your mouth. Please. You know what I'm saying? This ain't got nothing to do with y'all. I know it was in, it was done in front of y'all. This ain't got nothing to, nothing do, with to do with y'all. So move on. Move on, right? Um, so, yeah, and the organization focuses primarily on voting rights, but handles a myriad of other issues, mm-hmm. educational issues, um, uh, civil rights issues. So we're just in it all, based in Orlando. So you, you mentioned um, April 19th. And, yes. Um, what are you guys talking I know about the congressional maps. I'm well aware of how Ron DeSantis, a Noted white supremacist um, is trying to push congressional. Message. In fact, I keep that thought because what I want to talk about. Okay. White, I want to talk about Ron's DeSantis. For okay, a moment, go ahead. Because I don't like him. I call him. De, I call him the Satan. The Satan. Yeah, and oh, so wow. because Ron DeSantis is actually one of those people to where um, he's he's fascinating to me um, for a lot of reasons. Okay, the devil oftentimes is so intelligent crafty crafty that he's doing something with his left hand showing you life is good over here don't worry about it right but what he's doing with his right hand is going around your back and and stabbing you you know but you're focused on the left hand Mm -hmm. so DeSantis his left hand what he does is he'll do appointments of black judges he'll do appointments of black people in certain executive commissions 
he even do a press conference where I'll have a prominent black coach get in front mm-hmm. of the microphone mm-hmm. and propagate, you know, uh, right wing talking points, mm-hmm. you know, about black fathers and its noted connection to, um, you know, uh, 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 jail and prison incarceration when that's actually been <laughs> debunked 10 times over. Right. So he'll do these things. And the thing about the devil, the devil shields his wickedness in good works. Mm-hmm. Right. In in seemingly good works. Seemingly. Right. He, he shields it like this. How can this be so bad if it helps other people? Right. How can it be bad? But we don't. So we look at we look at um, something through the prism of if it helps people, then it must be good. But we don't understand that sometimes it's not the help that it's given in the initial focus, mm-hmm. but it's the purpose, right? What is the purpose? What is the what? What are we doing? So, the Santas I call him the Satan, because a lot of times I'm not looking at you know the left hand, what he always wants to do. He does these big headlines, and I see black people all the time. I, I've seen it throughout this, week, especially this week. I saw a number of black people like, yeah, I'm going to vote for DeSantis. Oh yeah, they said it. Jesus. Yeah, yeah they, I'm gonna I'm vote for DeSantis. I rock with him. I like him. I've even had I've actually had a number of different black people say, "I don't think he's a white supremacist." They literally have told me that because he's appointed black people. Oh, and it, and then so my thing is, yes, he appoints black people, but at the same time, it's this man who's trying to take away black voting rights. But he's appointed black people. But this is the same man who's trying to restrict black education in schools. But he's appointed black people. But this is the same man who's openly trying to appeal a federal ruling that said Florida's laws that he that he uh, stamped with his own mm-hmm. you know signature. Mm-hmm. They said you know. Florida is so racist that you need a 10, we're going to do a 10 year moratorium on y'all doing any more voting laws. That's how racist y'all are. And dissent is like, wait, wait, wait. I don't believe in that. We're going to appeal that. But you know what? He's appointed black people and he actually cares about black fathers. These are the things that frustrate me because black people don't stay on message too much. We, We don't stay on code. We get so caught up and caught up in the left hand so much. That we don't see the right hand. And I'm, it bothers me. It makes me sick. It makes me sick. Yeah. And I, I, it, I get to the point where I get sick and I get tired. Because I'm like, I don't even, I, you know what? God bless sometimes. Because I'm like, I'm tired. I'm so, you so gone. You so far gone. That if, you, if you are so far gone by, by an appointment that you can't see white supremacy, that I can't help you. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. You know, the thing about it is um, a lot of times I heard black people say, oh, you know, I'm not going to get behind the don't say gay bill, which it wasn't even called that. But let's just whatever. I said, that's that's really fascinating to me. I said, you know, what's really in that bill, though? Like, no, no, no. It's just, I just don't want my kids getting taught certain things. I said, well, I don't know if you've ever had kids in school. They can't even get the regular curriculum. So I don't know what's being taught on that. But let me just 
let's just keep it a buck, right? So look, but I said, you know what's really in the bill? What's really challenging? The thing that people that haven't talked about is that it's prohibiting the teaching of black education. Mm-hmm. That's really in the bill. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the it's the right hand that you should be focusing on, not the left hand that he's been. I'm challenging Disney and da da da. I don't care about all that. Yeah, that means nothing to me. <laughs> it's the right hand that's telling you that black education. We're going to prohibit what can be taught. But you know what? He appoints black people. I thought I went off on a tangent there, but I want you to, I just had to lay it out a little bit. Yeah. You know, and I'm sorry. No, don't apologize. Don't apologize. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And you're talking about DeSantis and the devil. The devil comes to do three things. Mm, kill, steal, and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy. That's all the devil comes to do. So yeah. even if it's cloth and life, yeah, it's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. Yeah, and so you have to keep the main thing, the, the main, main thing. thing. And when people show you who they are, believe them. Believe them. I yeah. don't know why we have a tendency to, and I know from people of faith, it's you know giving people a chance and love and all of that gracious stuff. But when people show you the, who they are, you know, initially, you know, take note of that, right? And stop falling into the same. Um, pit holes that we keep falling ourselves into based on optics. Mm. And so, yeah, Governor DeSantis um, is one of the most, you know, oppressive leaders when it comes to stripping uh, individuals, black people of voting rights. Particularly. Particularly. Um, I heard it said that he will probably pull off single-handedly one of the most suppressive tenures um, we've ever seen in the nation. Yeah. Um, of single-handedly, you know, you know, basically removing the black vote in Florida, literally. And so, but he points black people though. <laughs> but and then I, you know, to that question, and what are these black people doing for you? Right. You right. know, I, you know, I, I, you know, we've tried to meet with the uh, attorney general, not attorney general, secretary general. Mm. No, no, no. What is surgeon this? general? Surgeon general. Thank you. Right. Surgeon general. Um, I still haven't been able to meet with him. Right. You know, um, but see, you know, there, there's this statement that was on my social media where somebody said, um, you know, black t- black politicians, because I, I said the same thing, you know, he's trying to strip black representation. And they often confuse or conflate ID, the idea of, well, black representation. And sometimes these black politicians get in office, which is true, and they don't do anything. And that is, but that is a different conversation. But you know why it's a different conversation? Because white politicians do the same damn thing. <laughs> But you don't see white people being like, I'm not going to vote for white people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I do want to talk about the uh, black politicians who are not doing nothing. I don't we can that, talk. We that's can, another day or, or time. But no, no. We can talk about that. <laughs> this is a podcast. <laughs> I do, so do want to talk about that. They're like, doing nothing. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I just feel, I, I feel, before we get off to Santa's. Yeah. He is, I want the, the people to wake up to see what he's doing and to fight back. Yeah. So April nineteenth, yeah, we'll be going to Tallahassee. For those who do not know, uh, probably when this is released, this is over. So we'll right. probably be in litigation. Yeah. So the the governor has done something unprecedented. He has presented now his third drawing of his own map. This is what we're saying, people. Hear me clearly. DeSantis is drawing his own maps. They don't uh, say it. Say it a third time. DeSantis I, is drawing his own. He is determining who will vote where. Right. 
and what representation that area will have. Right. They don't hear you. <laughs> you know, but you know what? He appoints black people. So why are you so upset? <laughs> oh, God. I, 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 you know, we went to the census. The census is very important because um, it gives you the population. And when the population changes, these maps have to be drawn. Right. The maps are currently being drawn, which will determine black representation. Right. Currently, we only have uh, four um, black representatives on the congressional level. Um uh, let me see if I can remember the names. Uh, Al Hastings' seat, uh, the new lady. I'm forgetting her name. Please forgive me. It's all right, but we have four congressional level, and then now he wants to. He wants drive, to remove drive, two, two. Val Demings uh, District Ten, yeah, and Al uh, Lawson District Five, yeah. Um, which will remove and black representations tied to so much, right? Right, because those are almost guaranteed votes on some black issues. Right. Not only that, in your district, um, the things that 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 you see supportive of black initiatives, those things are going to be erased. Right. And so, we're going up uh, on the nineteenth. That is the first day of special session because he vetoed those bills. We have to go into special session, and the legislature, the Republican legislature, has already said that they are not going to draw any more maps. They're going to receive his maps and vote on them. Well, they've tried a couple times to be like that map's a little much, DeSantis, and he did. Now they're just like we're not just they, they've cowtailed to him and they're like it's it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, they have right. just said we're not going to do it, and so. Um, because of that, it's probably going to have to be handled by the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court did um, not acknowledge the map because he tried to circumvent the whole process and send it straight to the Supreme Court. Yeah. And the Supreme Court said, nah, buddy, uh, yeah. you're not going to do that. Right. Now, we don't know why the Supreme Court did it. Was it because they didn't like the maps or right. they didn't like the way the process went? Yeah. Um, but we do have to keep in mind that he did appoint some of these people on the Supreme Court. Yeah. So these are his people. But hopefully the Supreme Court prayerfully will do what is right and say you know we can't have maps drawn by the governor right who's running for president right right (laughs) (laughs) they don't it's like it's almost you know what it is it's it's like you're operating in a world where has anybody else seen the the crazy anybody seen it makes you feel crazy at times yeah because you don't think that so many people are not seeing this right you're like do y'all understand He's drawing a map so when he runs for president, it's going to guarantee his, his seat. His seat. Do you not oh, see this is nefarious? This is what the devil's doing. This is what kills, still and destroy. You know? The right hand. This is what the right hand's doing. And so But you know what? He appoints black people. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, what are you complaining about, Kamara? So shout out to Equal Ground and Jazzy Bernie Clark who are single-handedly. Now I'm not saying this because she's my longtime college friend and boss, mm-hmm. but single-handedly, right? Equal Ground and her leadership has devised a plan, a three-week plan. So we're just not going up there yelling, hollering, and screaming. We have mm-hmm. um, been on this for the last three weeks since the announcement. Sending out text messages, calling individuals, mm-hmm. sending letters to legislators. Right. Uh, we have a bus going up. Um, on that Tuesday of community members, shout out to everyone who is, you know, putting their hand to the wheel to help this. And so, yeah. um, we need everyone involved. Yeah. We, we need everyone involved. And so, um, even after you hear this, we'll probably be sending out um, uh, information around the update. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we invite you to continue to to. to kind of watch this and gauge it mm-hmm. because it's not over. Yeah. It's not over. Yeah. Yeah. That's doubt. 
So let's go into the subject you wanted to talk about. Yeah, so black, black politicians not not being worth a damn. You know that is <laughs> that's not what you said, but that's my word. I'm gonna that say. is part of the problem. Yeah, and I know that there are ethical issues like. Legal legalities yeah. that some people cannot say certain things or show up in certain places, yeah. but that doesn't stop you from writing a letter. Yeah, that doesn't stop you from making your voice heard. And right now, we have a lot of African American politicians who are running for other seats, but who I feel are not doing what they should be doing in the seat that you do have. Mm. Um, but yet, you want us to trust us with the with the, with the larger seat. Um, and it really becomes disheartening as a grassroots organization to really be fighting the fights that legislators should be leading. You know, it's, it's keeping that without naming names. It's that they want buy-in for a bigger, you know, promotion. But, you know, when I'm looking at the record and I'm like, well, what have you like, what have you done with the, with the thing I've given you? You know, I've given we've given you the placement of your position where you're at, and when I'm, you know, I, you're looking funny in the light when I'm trying to. I'm looking at the record. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm turning pages. I haven't seen why I should do buy-in to why you deserve a promotion. Yeah. You know, and it's disheartening because these are going to be the same people that are going to want grassroots to push them into that thing. But then when grassroots says. Okay, well, you know, why? <laughs> Outside of we don't like the other candidate, but why? And then and then we're deemed haters. Yeah. We're trying to be be blockers. Right. Well, we're just trying to hold people accountable. And I think that's where now I do want to put this in there. There are legislators who are working, um, and if I could just call one out, like Angie Nixon out of Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Behind us one hundred percent she is, but she comes from a um, organizing background mm-hmm. But she's been one Who has been on the front front There are several others right. Who have been on the front front uh, I don't know if you know Our own Camille Brown yeah. Has yeah. just been um, uh, Made chair of the yes. uh, Black caucus So people uh, people, Some people Are on the ground Doing the work But I'm just talking about From a, a, a whole Yeah Like where is the black agenda mm. <laughs> Right Like where, where, How are we moving people Not just while we're in office, but like, what is the next steps for us to move past where we are currently? What is the, what is the goal? What is the future? How are we galvanizing the black community to be able to, to make a change? Mm -hmm. And I just feel like there is a lack of leadership, a lack of foresight, a lack of strategic planning. And it's a lot of, you know, um, reactiveness and not proactiveness. You know, well that, because nobody's to your point, no agenda, no plan. Yeah. No vision. You know, no ideas. And without a vision, the people are lost. Perish. Oh, are lost. Yeah. Hey, same thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you're going nowhere. That's basically right. <laughs> basically what it is. Yeah. And so I just I'm looking for the day when we as a community but you know, someone said something to me and I'm I'm gonna do a little research on it. So if I'm wrong, I I, I apologize. But they said, you know, that's nothing that that's that's nothing new. Martin Luther King was not an elected official. Right. And those who were with him were not elected officials. Mm-hmm. Where were the elected officials of the civil rights age? Yeah, well, I, you know. <laughs> so like the it, black elected yeah, officials. Know, no, no, yeah. So it's, um, I'm not going to name it because he's actually an alpha brother. And okay. he's, he's, based out of, he's based out of New York. 
Um, but he was not a fan of Martin Luther King. Mm. And, you know, um, you know, and he often moved, he, but he was also, he, he, he believed in black liberation, but in a different way mm-hmm. than, than MLK. MLK was not a popular figure. Yeah. You know, and so, um, it's interesting because then it brings a conversation of, um, how do you merge advocacy within the church? Cause sometimes, you know, it can look like, you know, in giving, putting it back into the black church as a center to this conversation. How, how do we, how do we marry those two sometimes? Like, what do we, what are some of the initiatives we can do to get, to get the black church, to get people to see the black church as advocacy and give the black church to be an advocacy? Yeah. Like I, I tell pastors always, first of all, you have to know your community, mm-hmm. right? You have to have a heart for the community. Yeah. And a lot of times we want the community to come to us yeah. and we have to go out to the community, which means we have to call our elected officials up. Hey, I'm coming in for a meeting. You know, yeah. our church wants to be an advocate. You have the the data. Yeah. Where, where are the needs of the city? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't have to do this alone for the, for those who want to get civically engaged. There there are people within City Hall mm-hmm. who have the data, mm-hmm. who know the layout of the land, mm-hmm. and will, can show you. Okay, you know, you want to focus on food, but food maybe not. It's mental illness. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's not mental illness. Maybe it's gun violence. Yeah. So you want to make sure that you are developing plans that are meeting the needs mm-hmm. of the community and just not doing something for the cameras. Gotcha. Um, that's one way to merge. It's yeah. to, first of all, recognize what are the needs and then equip the congregation to be able to meet the needs. That means bringing in experts and officials. Mm to teach the congregation how do we deal with mental illness, how do yeah. we deal with gun violence, how do we deal with uh, um, uh, poverty and all these other things yeah. that, that the communities are faced with. Um, and then it's, it's, it's raising your voice. Yeah. It's showing up. It's nothing like a city council meeting, and instead of going to Bible study one night, everyone head down to the city council meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's that's going to be our Bible study. We're yeah. going to learn Ooh, what's going on. That's that's that's. I like that. We're, we're going to yeah. we're going to. And can you imagine? Yeah. Those city council people. If if if, if a pastor brought his Bible study. Yeah. yeah. To, to a council <laughs> meeting. Yeah. Community. That's. That, I love that. I'm just thinking about the vision. I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. You know what that can say. What yeah. that can do. Yeah. Um. And so the church has realized it has the power. It just has to utilize its power. Um, you know what I want to talk about? Yeah. I forgot to talk about this. Um, so it kind of goes off subject what we were talking about. Okay. Uh, spirituality. Yeah. And how black people say, you know, um, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You know, you've heard that? Yeah. That term. And how do you reconcile that within the black church? When I hear it, I hear somebody just hurt. Normally, I can just almost if I talk to them, they've been hurt. What if they're not hurt? What if they just say like, you know, I just don't agree with the principles of Orthodox Christendom. I have no problem with that because a lot of the things that people say are God are not, mm-hmm. and so my thing is find God however you can find him. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, find, because yeah. yeah. Like because that. at the end of the day, the Bible says, save yourself from this untoward generation. Mm. At the end of the day, it's not about 
how many times you went into the physical church, but it's yeah. your relationship with the Father. Yeah. Um, and so, however you need to find God, find Him. How does somebody say, "I don't, I haven't heard God, I haven't heard heard God's voice in years"? You haven't heard God's voice in years. I want you to get quieter. Mm. You got to listen to the sheet music. <laughs> you got to listen to the sheet you music. Listen to, I want you to get quieter. Yeah. Because he tells us that he will never leave us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake nor you. Nor forsake you. But yeah. lo, I'm with you always. always. Yeah. Even until the end of the world. So if you say you can't, you haven't heard, just get a little quieter. Right. Going Pivoting back to John Coltrane. You know, full circle. Full circle. He, um, he heard God in the quiet moments of his pain. You know, and, and his struggle. And sometimes we we talk about I don't hear God. I don't, you know, God. But it's like well, you probably don't hear Him because you've never sat down and listened and heard the words from the from the music of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the the words are there. You're just not you're not focusing. You're not sitting down in your apartment, closing your eyes, and trying to hear what's happening. Because you want to talk. You want to talk. You right? want to you want to talk. Or you need words. You need. Could you? Because you are so used to um, communication of the Lord coming in one way. Yeah, and we know what I always tell people: is that God speaks to you in a multitude of ways. I I, I try to find God communication in the smallest little things. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I even find it. In, I find it in a preacher. It might be. The cashier at a Wawa mm-hmm. might say something, and it's like, dang, I was kind of just thinking about that, you know. And they don't even—they're not, but just, you know, they said a line you're like, you know, you know, you gotta be, you gotta be careful when you do, you know. And it's like, oh, I, had, I just had this thought about something else unrelated, but it really ties it in. Mm-hmm. But I said that was God talking to me, mm-hmm. and it was inspiring me, and I, I was listening because I was, I was, I wasn't. I wasn't cert. I wasn't um, out there trying to look for God in the Wawa, but I was. I was open to the idea of his presence. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. And you have to be open to, to the open. I, to the idea of his presence. You know, and then if you if you open, he will find you. He will find you. And this is the beautiful part. When he finds you, it says when the spirit of truth has come, mm-hmm. he will lead and guide you right. into all truth. Right. Right. So I don't have to try to make you understand this. Right. When he gets a hold of you, yeah. He's going to reveal it in such a way that I could never explain it to you. Yeah. And once you got it like that. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Yeah. You know, it's um, same like the prodigal son, you know, where, you know, he, you know, the prodigal son returns and you know that story. But the best part about that is he didn't wait for him to get to the doorstep. Mm. You know, he didn't need him to get all the way. He was on a long property. He's like, he, you know, once he made that, decision to walk onto the property of, of God, walk onto the property of faith. Mm-hmm. God leapt up from his seat on the porch and ran towards and ran him. To him. You know, that's the thing. God will run towards you. God, he'll meet you at the point of your need. Yeah. Yeah. He will literally meet you at the point of your need. Yeah. But you have to be vulnerable to him. Mm-hmm. That's why it says cast your cares upon him. Yeah. Because he cares for you. What about those who are atheists? Mm-hmm. And say, you know what? I just believe in doing good works. Because, you know, religion um, doesn't exist. 
he teaches us that he has sheep that are not of this fold. Mm-hmm. And so I take that to say he, Jesus, mm-hmm. talks about sheep that are not of this particular fold. And so it, it tells us that there are individuals who the church may never understand yeah. or they may never take on the churchhood, yeah. but they are still the sheep of God. Yeah. And so I let God be God in those areas yeah. and allow people to find God the best way they can. Yeah. You know what I say? Well, you don't because I haven't said it yet, <laughs> but I will say it. Um, those who are atheists actually do have a belief. Mm-hmm. And all faith is just a belief system. It's just your belief is non-belief. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, you're choosing a belief system. And so you know, my thing is I always say it costs you nothing to have faith. It costs you everything to not have it. Mm. You know, and so... I don't know what God is, you know, in reality. Because I've, I've never seen the physical form. He's a spirit. Right? But, you know, I, I always say to myself that by the time I know what God is, it might be, it's going to be too late because I'm going to be on the other side. Right? But I'd rather get to the other side with understanding of his presence than, you know, and, and not have a definitive, mm-hmm. you know, structure in my mind of what he is or isn't, right? Then say he doesn't exist. And then I get to the other side of like, well, you know, <laughs> I do exist, but you didn't believe, you know? And so I don't, ex- I don't exist to you because you choose not to believe. So I always say you, you don't have to, you don't have to believe in a specific ideal of God as long as you know that God exists. Yeah. And guess what? If you even believe that God, or you believe, I'll even go even better. And you may push back on this one okay. against me. I'll say, you, let's say, you, I, you can even believe just in a creator. Right? Because guess what? The moment you open your door to think there's something bigger than you in this universe, then God's like, ah, okay. Now he's kind of opening, he or she opening the door to think there's something bigger. I'm going to get off my porch now mm-hmm. and I'm going to run towards you to show that not only there's something bigger, but I am the thing, mm. you know, that you've been searching for. The mustard seed faith. Just a little bit of faith. Faith of a mustard seed. Just a little bit of faith. Right. Yeah. And the Bible talks about that he gives each man a measure of faith. Yeah. And so that's why I just let God be God in those areas yeah. because I could never understand it. Yeah. I could never, you know, Work it out. Let God be God in those areas. And I truly do believe, my faith Mm -hmm. believes that everyone that's supposed to be touched by him, he goes to them and reveals himself in the way that they can understand. But you have to do this. A friend of mine said in um, uh, uh, theology school, God is not a rapist. Hmm. He does not force himself Himself on you. you. Yeah. That was very... I was like, graphic. That was a very graphic. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my god, oh, yeah, like, yeah. God's not going to force Himself on you. Yeah. God's not going to. Yeah. That's what He says. Choose ye this day. Mm-hmm. So the moment that He reveals Himself to you, that is the moment for you either to receive yeah. or not to receive. Yeah, and that's your prerogative. Yeah, 
That's your choice. You don't have to choose God. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, listen, it's good Friday. By the time people. But you should. Let me put oh. that in there. Oh, yeah, As yeah. As a preacher. Yeah. But you should choose God. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, right, right. Yeah, I got you. Um, so listen, uh, I'm going to let you, your final thoughts on okay. God in the modern space or the church in the modern space or any, however, whatever subject we talked about, back of relation. I'm going to let you give your final thoughts on this. Um, you know, it's a couple of days after Easter by the time they hear it. Um, but. Something, a lasting message that you think people need to hear that you, maybe we didn't even talk about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to yeah. dialogue with you. I really enjoyed um, the conversation and I'm made better by some of the points that were lifted up. Yeah. Um, thank you for the introduction to Cole Train. Cole, John Coltrane. I've heard Coltrane before, but I've never, I don't think I've. Probably heard the music just to know I was listening to the music. Possibly, but I'm going yeah. to listen to music now. Should I listen to this on vinyl? I, I will listen. <laughs> I'm 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 one of those. Uh, what do you call it? <laughs> I, I I think vinyl always gives a a different a uniqueness. Mm -hmm. But CD works. The CD works. Yeah, it's like good know? food. You know, the the, the palate. Yeah, you know, it's just a little different taste. Yeah. But you, if we don't have access to a vinyl. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. My best friend. Yeah, I go get his, or go to the store and go have a reason to go shopping. Yeah, you know what? I wish you would have told me, I because I do have it on vinyl. Really? But you know, I I would want it back. <laughs> and I just, I'm not a, I'm not a fit. I'm not opposed to charging no, up. A, no, no, charge no. Back. Hey, give me my record, this, pastor. This will help me become a culture. <laughs> this is my wife will be like, what? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So yes. Yeah, so thank you for introduction, uh, introducing that to the listeners. Really appreciate. Hopefully you find value in something that was lifted up. But in my closing remarks, I really want to encourage you to take ownership of your life. Yeah. Um, don't allow anything to control you that you are not control you in such a way that you are just operating just to be operating. Yeah. I want you to walk purposefully yeah. um, in your life and take accountability for the part that you play in the world. Yeah. And everyone again, can't do everything and God hasn't called everyone to do everything, but God has uniquely place something in you to make this world and the world around you a better place. And I want you to lean into that. Yeah. Um, and once you lean into that, I, I really do feel like life will be made better for you. Mm. Even in through struggle, disappointment. Um, if you lean into that, I believe you'll have everything that you need. I know that I don't know you, but I'm praying for you. Mm -hmm. And I pray that God continues to bless and prosper you. Yes. Amen. So I like to end every pod on a love letter to black culture. Okay. So dear black culture, we just took a deep analysis of where black church is, or where the black church is or where it's been or where it's going. And what are our expectations? How does the church reach those in the flock who have become less Christian and more spiritual? Heck, how does the church address those who have walked away from religion altogether? Now, I don't know if we, answered or addressed those questions um, today or, you know, we've given it to what people's satisfaction. But I do think we've raised some interesting topics of what is God's placement in a world that continues to not recognize his presence. 
It's my opinion that the black church failed to recognize the potential of articulating Jesus, not as some passive saint who, who has come from above, but in reality, a black liberator who took the state, uh, who took the state against injustice, who took against the state um, injustices against the poor, the downtrodden and the overlooked, you know, hair of wool, feet of clay. He was a black man. Removing the aesthetic of the benevolent, omnipresent leader who was, and, focusing on how his, and, on, and focusing on how his life's work resembles those uh, that are fighting injustice every day. Yes, Jesus, a black man, would have definitely been a part of the Black Lives Movement. Mm. It's important for the black church to recognize that the church in its traditional sense may never revert back to the orthodoxy of the 50s and 60s. But the same way the churches back then were a central part in promotion of black civil liberation, the church today has to recognize that while the jungle landscape may have changed, there are still predators out there who are trying to destroy the black community via anti-black legislation and talking points. They must speak to individuals who often don't see church in the muck and mire of the wilderness. If it is to survive, speaking of the black church, it must be willing to have church in the wild or at Lake Nanadune. So with that being said, uh, we're going to ride out with this song, and I hope you all appreciate it, and thank you for listening to Unculture Bias Podcast. Are you?